Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Our Bible reading this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, going from verse 1 through to verse 7. Um, It will also be up on the screen behind me as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 7. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing um, and their extreme—sorry, their overflowing joy and ex- their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us. Uh, pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to God's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to also bring to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, And in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Uh, Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Southside. It's great to be here. Uh, As Ben said earlier, my name is Marky, Marky Tai. I'm the pastor of a church called Providence down in Sunnybank. Uh, We planted the church about eight years ago now. uh, And yeah, it's it's been great to see how God has been at work. Uh, We're really thankful for Southside. So if you don't know, we planted uh, as a ministry under Southside, as a partner church, uh, and yeah, God has been really generous to us over these years. Uh, if, uh, and and um, I still actually am under Southside uh, in some sense, um, but we, we function like a partner church. Uh, if you ever want to find me, I'm actually in the office. Uh, I've got a desk here, so I get to work uh, with the guys throughout the week, and so that's a real um, privilege for me and uh, a blessing for me as well. So uh, that's me. Uh, come find us sometime if you're ever free. Or, or, or say hello to me if you, you see me throughout the week. Uh, I'm here in the office upstairs. Uh, let's get into it. Uh, heart-shaped generosity. We're in the second talk of the series. If uh, you missed last week, I think it's online. Uh, Ross did the first talk, and uh, I'm doing the second one, and we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 together. And I think uh, it'll be on the screen as we go through it, uh, but it's good to have your Bibles as well to follow along. Uh, but let's, let's do that now. Uh, let me pray for us, and we'll get into God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you're a God that speaks to us, that we have uh, the Bible in front of us, that we can uh, hear from you and we can uh, hear how you called us to live under you. We pray, Lord, that uh, as we hear from it, you'll convict our hearts by your spirit. You'll move us to consider what it looks like to be generous as a people, knowing that you are a God of generosity, that you have been so generous to us in Jesus. And so we pray now, Lord, as we get into it, that you'll remind us of these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Sometimes I'm on social media a bit too much, but there's a guy called Jimmy Darts uh, on YouTube and TikTok who's this viral sensation. 
Uh, he's a, a social media influencer. He's amassed thousands of followers because his videos are all about how to spread love and kindness. Jimmy Darts is his name if you want to look him up. What he does is he goes up to people that look a bit down and out, struggling, living on the streets, and he pretends that he needs money. He'll say something like, hey, oh, look, I'm really hungry. I need some food, but I left my wallet at home, or I need some money to get home on the bus. Do you have any spare change? And, and he'll say this, to, and there's a you know, camera on, you know, showing them, and he'll say this to someone who's visibly in need themselves, and while some might ignore him, others will give him a couple of dollars, what they have uh, in their pockets, they'll take out, you know, some spare change, and, and he'll say, oh, thank you so much for that, but hey, I actually, I actually don't need this. Instead, because you were so kind to me and blessed me, I actually want to bless you. Here's $5,000 or some crazy large amount. And he'll whip out this you know, cash on camera and you'll see the person shocked in disbelief, uh, crying, really, really touching stuff. And usually they're asked, you know, that Jimmy will ask them, why did you offer to give up your last dollar? Why did you offer to help me? And they'll usually respond because, well, that's what people do. You, know, you give some kindness and you hope someone else will show you kindness as well. And the whole premise of his videos is to spread loving kindness through being generous. Uh, if you show kindness and generosity, you might receive generosity uh, in return, tenfold even. Now, that's nice. And I love what he's doing uh, because I think he is a, a very generous person. But my, my, my cynical side, <laughs> the cynical side of me just thinks these videos, they aren't encouraging kindness for the sake of kindness, but instead promotes if you show kindness, you'll get kindness back tenfold. Uh, it's a little, just a little bit self-serving. That's the cynical side of me. It defeats the purpose of what kindness and generosity actually means. Good on Jimmy Darts, though. He's, he's truly helping people. He, he, you know, he starts up GoFundMe pages and all that, some support raising. But are these videos really aiming to show what generosity looks like? Giving so you might be able to get back. Yeah, I really want us to tackle today what motivates us to give, what motivates the Christian to be generous uh, with their money. Now, uh, we're in the series called Heart-Shaped Generosity. We're talking about money. Uh, but before you get uncomfortable with the topic, the church is talking about money again. Jesus actually talks about money a lot in the Bible. The issue about money isn't uh, so much about money itself, though, is it? When Jesus talks about it, the issue is actually about our heart. You know, that's the reason why uh, you know, the guys we were discussing, you know, how, what should we call the series? Let's call it Heart-Shaped Generosity because Jesus knows the issue is about the heart. He doesn't care about, um, he doesn't want our money. He wants our hearts. There's a place in the Bible where Jesus says, where your treasure is, there is where your heart will be also. How we use and see our money is an indication of our heart. Isn't it true? If you're spending money on, on, on video games or on dance classes or on travel and holidays, it's because they're the things you generally love to do. That's where your heart is. If you're spending money to get Taylor Swift concert tickets, well, you know, I'm sure it's because you love Taylor Swift, Right. If it's spent on kids or your family or your spouse, that's where you find your joy. We'll spend the money because we value those things in life. We give to the things we love, the things that bring us great joy. That's generally true, right? And so we have to really think about this, how we see giving and generosity. Isn't that an indication of where our heart is? And for the Christian, if you are a Christian here at Southside, what shapes your heart? It, what, what, what reflects your heart? What motivates your heart to be generous? As we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 today, Paul gives us a picture of what a heart that is shaped by the gospel looks like and how the gospel motivates generosity in the life of the believer. 
Now, just to set up a bit of context and backdrop, Paul is the writer who, the Apostle Paul, who, he pens this letter to the Corinthian church. And, and there's a famine going on in Israel, and he, he's doing some fundraising, asking for funds to be sent to the church in Jerusalem uh, from Corinth, right? So Jerusalem, they're, they're struggling, the church over there is struggling, and so he's, raising, he's doing a fundraising drive, you could say. As we get into chapter 8, then the first thing that Paul wants us to see is that that generosity, for us to be generos- generous, it begins with an overflowing joy in Jesus. See, l- let's look at the first few verses again uh, from, chap- from, from verse 1. Uh, it says, Brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. It's, 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 we're, we're talking about the Macedonian churches here. Um, they're the churches, you're thinking Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, those churches if you know your ancient cities. Uh, they're the churches that he mentions here. They themselves were struggling too, though. Like the rest of the early church, probably oppressed by Roman taxes, persecuted by their neighbors for their faith. They didn't know what the future held, yet in the midst of their severe trials, even out of their poverty, they gave. You know, there are people who are very wealthy in the world, right? The, the billionaires, the, the philanthropists. They have lots of money, and they're giving away lots of money to charity. That, that's generous, right? We hear about that, and we hear how generous they are. I wish I could give away a million dollars. But even if they are generous in that way, giving away a million dollars doesn't really impact their lifestyle much, does it? I mean, they've got another million you know, sitting in the bank. They can still live quite comfortably with the, the leftover that they still have. Yes, they're generous, don't want to, you know, don't want to downplay that, but is it impacting them? The Macedonians here, they're not thinking about how to fund their lifestyle. Uh, what's interesting is they're willing to eat into their lifestyle so they can help fund and share in the work of the gospel with the church elsewhere in Jerusalem. They see this as a privilege. They pleaded for it. They begged for the opportunity to give what they could for the work of the gospel. Wow. Imagine that. Pleading for the privilege. Have you ever yourself or, or heard others plead beg for the privilege to give your money to the church give some it's not the first thought that comes to mind is it when we think about about church about giving oh, maybe reluctant maybe obligated pleading for the privilege that's so powerful what would drive them to, to do such a thing what's well, verse two their overflowing joy a joy that comes from the grace of God and the knowledge of their salvation in Christ. Verse 5 helps us to understand it a bit more. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, it says, then by the will of God also to us. Remember, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The overflowing joy from their heart was in the Lord Jesus, as they gave themselves to the Lord Jesus. They would give themselves first to the Lord, their time, their energy, resources, money, and that would overflow in giving to God's people. The Macedonians really reversed the whole priority of, of order of, of money, the world's priorities of money. When you think of how, how, how people prioritize their money, what do you think of? We, we generally prioritize ourselves first, don't we? We, we? When we sit down and do our budgets, we think about the responsibilities we have, like bills and food and money put aside to save, money aside for holidays, money for an emergency. If I, and then with what's left over... Then we'll consider, okay, this bit of money here, we can think about giving that. Donations to church, to mission, to charity. But look at this example. They start with giving themselves first to the Lord. Uh, It's the whole first fruits principle, isn't it? Whatever we put aside, put money aside first, that you set aside in your heart to give to the Lord. 
then consider the rest, the responsibilities, the holidays, the savings. Now, I, I get it. You guys, are, I, I feel the, the discomfort of this. We're living in a climate where, 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 where it's tough right now. Bills to pay, interest rates have risen, inflation and all that. It's a tough time to be living. I think we all agree on that. I'm not going to lie, I feel it. And I often have to ask myself, what in our budget can, can I budge, budge, uh, budget, can I budge, especially the wants and not needs, to continue to support God's ministry in our world? And we all have to work that out, each to our own, but Paul gives us an encouraging example, doesn't he, with the Macedonian church. For them, it's not about how much do my wants require, after which I can think about giving to you, but they asked first, how much do your needs require before I think about fulfilling my wants? You know, the, 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 the reformer, John Calvin from the 1500s, he makes a profound observation that our problem is that we think something is lost when we give it away especially when we give to other people. The Macedonians have been freed up by the gospel, though, and so they realize that to give is to gain, not to lose. To give is to gain, even in their poverty. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us, it says. It's not about money, is it? It's about where their heart is. Their heart is for the Lord Jesus, a heart that finds joy in Jesus in faithfulness and repentance and obedience, a heart that overflows in joy that expresses itself in financial generosity to God's people. Isn't that liberating? A blessing. It's a blessing for the Christian to give. Not, not guilt, not obligation, but joy. Uh, last week, Ross would have said something about having an attitude of gratitude. That's this, overflowing joy a thankfulness and joy we have in the gospel. But secondly, uh, gospel-shaped generosity will look like love and sacrifice as well. Uh, we're going to keep reading from verses 7 to 9. Um, let me read it out loud to you. I think it's going to be on the screen as well. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. See, when we read verses 7 to 9, he encourages them. If they're excelling in their faith, if you're doing so well in your faith, excel also in your grace of giving. He says not to command them, but to test the sincerity of their love. Gently challenging them. Hey, hey, you say you love God, right? You say you want to live out your faith. Well, yeah, excel in that, but excel in your giving too. Honestly, I feel like Paul is being a, a bit blunt here. I, I don't know if you came from a family like mine, but sometimes my parents would be like, hey, Mike, you look at how, how obedient and well-mannered your cousins are. Why can't you be like that, right? Uh, and Paul sounds a lot like that. Hey, look at your cousins over in Macedonia. Why can't you be more like them? Well, that can sometimes be shaming and unhelpful for our children. <laughs> Paul is wanting to encourage them because they're adults and not children. The, the gospel isn't about pride. It's not about ego. It's not about superiority or inferiority. Paul can encourage them by spurring them on. Hey, see what they're doing. You can be like this too. You've got this. Let your joy overflow in the grace of giving. Show us that you also can love God's people in the, like the Macedonian churches are doing through your generosity. And perhaps what Paul is doing is very subtle here, but he wants the Corinthian church to also see what they can learn from others. Let's look at other churches and, uh, and see how they're, they're thriving in their faith, expressing their love, and, and with the Macedonians, expressing their love in generosity. I mean, what can we learn from them? 
we're not in competition with other churches. We worship the same Jesus. Let's learn how we can be more loving and improve in areas where we're weak. This church in Macedonia, they're, 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 do, they're, they're doing giving and generosity really well. How can we be more generous too? Paul wants to see their love in action through the grace of giving. And he gives an example of what that love looks like. It, it will look like sacrifice. To give with a heart shaped by love is to do a gracious, sacrificial act. That means you're, you're not doing it to expect anything in return. It's not spread kindness so you can receive kindness. The example he gives is from Jesus himself, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Paul isn't about the money, is he? He's not about the money. He's about producing Christ in the people. He gives that example of Jesus in verse 9. Jesus was rich. He was rich, not in dollar bills or cryptocurrency. He sat on the throne of glory over the universe. And he left that throne. He entered into our world. He didn't have a bed or pillow to lay his head on. He took on our poverty, but our spiritual poverty, so that we could become spiritually rich. And we could have a righteousness before the Father. We can have His holiness to stand before God and have an intimate relationship with God. Something money can't buy. That was gifted to us. Not by our works, but by grace. You and I, we can see how this principle of giving sacrificially works because we have a God who gave Himself up sacrificially for us. Who went to the cross for you and for me and gave up His life. And while we spend our days poring over our bank accounts, concerned about upgrading our life, Jesus did a downgrade so he could serve us. Jesus came to our world to serve us, to die a death he didn't deserve by taking on our sin. He poured himself out spiritually. He became spiritually bankrupt. That's not something we can pay back. We can't pay God back for that. That's the generosity and grace of Jesus, seen in love and sacrifice. Paul says it's not a command, but an act of love that overflows from the love of Christ in our lives. Our hearts can be shaped by selflessness, not, not self-preservation. When we know how spiritually rich we are, we give out of, out of a spiritual abundance. Here's the thing about the word sacrifice, though. No one likes it. It doesn't feel good, does it? It sounds really hard. It hurts a little bit to make sacrifices. Yet when we know the love of Jesus... We, in turn, out of our love and joy, we give, and the sacrifice is worth it. We have to go back to that first point, overflowing joy. We, we, we sacrifice with joy. You know, we don't have to make sacrifices driven by obligation. The attitude is we get to make sacrifices for the joy and sake of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Lastly, a heart shaped by the gospel, overflowing with joy in love and sacrifice, requires follow-through. It requires commitment and action. Uh, I'm, I'm going to read a few more verses, verse 10 to 12, and we'll finish at verse 12. Here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has not according to what one does not have. He speaks about their willingness, their desire. But don't stop there. Don't stop just with your, your willingness and desire. Actually do it, right? Don't, don't say you're a Christian. Live it out as well. Generosity is more than giving God lip service. 
we say we believe, we say we have faith, but will the desires of your heart overflow and be seen in commitment and action? Uh, we, fu- we forget sometimes that, that the whole Christian virtue of, of integrity, that our yes be yes. We, we follow through with what we say we'll, you know, that we will follow through with what we say we'll do. And for many of us with giving, because these days we, we don't always handle cash, do we? Uh, and buckets aren't passed around. And it's out of sight and out of mind. But maybe we need to actually sit down with our budget and, and do the whole yearly cash flow thing, what comes in, what goes out, budget first, and see what you set in your heart to give, to start doing it, to stick to it. A- and the whole regular, whatever you need to do, regular re- monthly direct debit, whatever that might be. Perhaps maybe that's what commitment to your word will look like. Following through. Uh, it, it's the call Paul makes to the church. Follow through with what your hearts have been filled, if your hearts have been filled with the love of the gospel. And overflows to the way you use it. You know, it's a, it's it's that's what inter- integrity requires. I think it requires action. It's the whole when you say you'll pray for someone and 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 you forget about it minutes later. <laughs> you'll pray for them, but maybe you need to pray for them on the spot there, or you need to write it down on your phone, or you put it down on a prayer list somewhere. Uh, follow through with our word, and when we do that, really, it's an act of selflessness, isn't it? putting these matters we've committed to before ourselves because think about when we when we flake out on our commitments when we don't follow through with our word with our word isn't our self our needs our wants our comfort isn't our self isn't it that that often gets in the way when we look at the gospel of jesus who followed through with his word to save us uh, to serve us and save us there's a, a selflessness when there's a selflessness there and there's one there when we commit and act as well. Verse 12 reminds us, when we're willing to be generous and actually give, your heart is revealed. It's not about how much you have, but to give from what you do have, to give something. In the next chapter, uh, and this will be on the screen too, Paul elaborates a bit on this, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That idea of cheerful giving, it's precisely in the context of chapter 8, an overflowing joy, love, sacrifice, seen in our commitment and action. Not a matter of how much, but that you give something that comes from a heart of eager willingness. And think about it, the Macedonian churches were giving out of poverty. They had so little, but their eager willingness is described as rich generosity. They had so little, but they gave so much. And the Corinthian church That's the question for them. They had so much, but were they willing to give? And I think about the Australian church. Australia, we're we're ranked high amongst the richest countries in the world. If we're able to afford to live in Australia, it means we're actually well off. And I agree, again, it's hard at the moment with the cost of living, but isn't it even more important now to consider where our heart is? What will our hearts be shaped by? Are changing circumstances going to lead us to hold on with a tight fist? And maybe next year or sometime in the future when you feel a bit more comfortable, then give. Is that the attitude we're supposed to have? Or is joy and sacrifice and commitment, trusting in our God who provides for us, will that be our outlook during the season of life? Does the gospel shape your heart? And will that overflow to generosity? Paul wants the church to identify where their heart is. Because if we do recognize Jesus who has made us spiritually rich, that actually changes everything. It means how you view your money will change. When I was a, a university student, I remember hearing uh, that, that generosity looks like time, 
because I don't have money. <laughs> I would often hear that said to me. Uh, and I, I get the idea because you do have a, the most time in the world when you're in uni. <laughs> but full-time work is, is when you can be more generous because that's when you do have money and you'll have less time. While I think there's some truth to that, I don't think it's actually always correct or always helpful. Yes, as a uni student, you might, you might not be able to give much, but you are able to give something. Even to give out of your poverty, it's an expression of your generosity. Think about it. Uh, your identity isn't about how much wealth you have. Whether you're upper class or middle class, lower class, white collar, blue collar, or a student. The gospel shapes our identity and puts money in the right place. You're first and foremost a, a Christian. You're in Christ. It means you're spiritually rich. And if that is true and you believe the gospel, the gospel gives you the lens to see where money belongs. God calls us to steward what belongs to him already, to use wisely on God's behalf, even if it's a little. Our finances, it's a gift to be a blessing, to bless others with. Do you see that? Whether you're a student or a worker, whether you're little or with lots, it's God's money that he's entrusted to you and I. And so perhaps what's helpful by way of implication is to consider firstly, how do you view your finances? How do you view the resources that you have? The Macedonian church, they gave themselves to the Lord. They saw it all as belonging to God anyway. Is that how you view what you have? Is that how you view your entire life even? That your life belongs to Jesus because of his salvation for you? Then the question when you think about giving to, to your local church or to mission or to serve the kingdom, isn't how much of my money isn't how much of my money am I going to give to God. The question really should be, how much of God's money am I going to keep? It's a, it's a subtle mind shift, isn't it? To see your job, your possessions, to see your money, everything you own is belonging to God first, and then to consider, what are you going to do with God's resources? We're trustees of God's money. But another implication from this text, though, is appreciating the privilege we get in giving generously and joyfully. The Macedonians, they pleaded for the privilege. They knew that by giving, they were supporting the church in Jerusalem. Consider the impact when you do give. We get to be part of what God is doing in the world, just like the Macedonians. It's an eternal impact, isn't it? You have the privilege to partner in gospel work and giving to your local church. What does the church do? It's a vehicle for people to come to know God, isn't it? I get to hear the stories all the time from Southside. I get to hear about the Alpha Course and how many people are coming to know Jesus. I get to hear about the baptisms happening here at Southside. It's such a joy to hear. You know, when, when the church is in, in action, people come to know Jesus. They experience, get to know the freedom of joy in Jesus. People are rescued. They're freed. Just like an investment, you're hoping for a return on your investment, right? Well, we get to invest in kingdom work, the work of saving souls and making disciples. You play a part through financially partnering in the generous giving of your money. The same goes for your support in the work of missionaries so they can use their time to share the gospel, the way you give to social justice organizations that will spread the message of Jesus through their ministry. What a privilege. The late Tim Keller, pastor from the U.S., he says this, when you give generously, you become a vehicle of God's grace to others. You bless others. Your money becomes a means of God's grace to others. It becomes way more than money becomes a means of freedom for people it's way more than money it becomes a means of freedom for people friends we get the privilege of playing a part in seeing the lost saved souls that will one day be in heaven worshiping our lord jesus with you and me isn't giving them not a reluctant duty not a guilt-driven obligation but an absolute privilege will you plead for that privilege too that we get to share in the ministry of the work of the saints 
whether you have lots or whether you have little, you get that privilege to invest in something far greater than having just a, a, a comfortable lifestyle in this lifetime. We get to invest in the lives of people that will last into eternity. You know, when I consider all this, I think back to being a kid and, and playing that um, board game. I don't know if you know it's called Monopoly. Um, it's the idea, the game is simple, right? You spend money to make money. You take risks, hope that people will land on your square and see that cash money rain. But I think of the game as an adult now, and wow, when I first played Monopoly as a 10-year-old, I was, I was making some big investment decisions. Do I buy Whitechapel Road or wait till I get to Park Lane? What if I don't land on Park Lane? How am I going to invest my money? As a kid, you're put in, this, in the seat of a real estate mogul and, and thinking, how do your investments give you the best return? And, and over time, I learned I, my, my aim every time I played. Here's my strategy. I'm going to share it with you all. Get Mayfair and Park Lane. Once I own those, I've made it. That's all I wanted. That was my game plan every time I played. Now, it's funny, isn't it? The whole point of the game is to have the monopoly over property and bankrupt everyone else. And isn't that the narrative we're told since young? We go through life, all the, all the marketing, the social media, everything tells us how to spoil yourself with the hard-earned cash you amassed from your hard work and toil. Consume, indulge, invest more for yourself and gain. We, we live with this monopoly mindset. We aren't satisfied until we own the blue and green squares, focusing on our needs and wants first above God's God's, God's will, and we've been nurtured in that way all our lives. For that to seem now natural, we've been taught that, so it seems even necessary. Yet the gospel fi flips that all on its head. You see, we've already won in life. That came by God's grace, because God has given us everything we need in this lifetime and the next, through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus. So we can give ourselves first to the Lord and then to others with a hope and prayer that they too can become spiritually rich in Christ when they hear the message of the gospel and they receive it. We can do that whether we have lots or the way, whether we have little, but we get to give our finances and that is a privilege. Do you believe that? If we do, may our hearts be overflowing in generosity that comes from the overflowing joy we have in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, may your grace that abounds in the gospel and the love that we have received in the sacrifice of Christ, may that be our motivation, may that be our inspiration, may that impact us so deeply that our hearts will be shaped by joy and love for you and for others. May we see our resources not as our own, but entrusted to us. And may your spirit be at work helping us to consider how we can be sacrificially generous to see your name glorified and those around us who are spiritually poor know and embrace the spiritual richness we have in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.